0: This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today I'm talking with Tim Carmen. Tim is a Boston-based drummer whose main gig since 2018 has been touring and recording with the blues trio GA-20. He's also the author of several books, including Groove Systems, The Shape Beat Series, and Haynesism, a deep dive into one piece of Roy Haynes' vocabulary. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at WorkingDrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our Patreon content now features our recent guest, Pat Petrillo, discussing the recording of his version of Black Cow for his new record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Stone and Will Kennedy, discussing specific songs they've tracked drums for and all of the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month, so check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. If you're in the L.A. area, I'll be at the Amundsen Theater with Ain't Too Proud from December 13th through January 1st. Go to ain'ttooproudmusical.com for more info, and please hit me up if you're coming. I'd love to meet up and say hi. So Tim is a born and bred New Englander. It was interesting to hear how the Boston scene shaped him uh, and about his brief foray into the L.A. scene and returning to Boston and finding a real musical home with GA-20. So let's get to all that and more with Tim Carmen. I have to confess, I, I was not really hip to uh, the whole the, the band GA Twenty. Um, no way, no before before getting hip to you. But I've been listening a bit, and and it's cool as shit. Like I would love to play in a band like this. Thanks, man. Yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. It it seems to reside in in this sort of like raw funky kind of kind of Black Keys kind of Gary Clark Jr. territory. Is that fair to
1: say? Yeah, I I, I guess you know the whole project was started to kind of recreate some of the late 50s, early 60s, like traditional Chicago blues stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we've kind of just built in a little bit of Americana and country into that as well. So it's definitely just going for an old vibe, though.
0: Right, right. And I, I was pretty quick to, to throw you into a basket with those, those other acts. Totally, um, yeah. Are are there important things you feel about your band that differentiates you from other bands that people like me might throw you into a basket with?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, like, uh, so the guy who leads the band for the most part is Matt Stubbs, and he Mm -hmm. produces all the records as well. Hmm. Um, And I think he gets sounds that a lot of people aren't really getting today. Um, So in, in a lot of ways, I feel like he differentiates us from other projects just just the sounds we get in the studio and yeah know, he's, he's kind of a, a wizard with that stuff
0: yeah yeah um how long have you been in that band
1: uh i joined 2018 like the end of 2018 yeah and okay. they sh- it's a it's a pretty new band I, they started the band pretty much the beginning of 2018 and then i joined a year later okay so it was i was gonna ask if it was kind of already a thing when you joined but yeah if- yeah yeah pat and matt who are there's only three of us pat and matt are uh you know the, the two guys who started it, right? And they had other drummers around Boston who, were, you know, and they were looking for somebody who was going to commit 100% and tour full time with them. And I hopped on board. I was excited to do that. So,
0: okay, so like you know, we've all seen these these sort of um, uh, offers or inquiries or whatever. That's like we need it. We need a drummer. We need a full time guy. We got tour dates booked. We got yep. studio time booked. Like it's it's fucking happening. Yeah. Um, uh, what what made you believe them
1: <laughs> well they had just signed with Cola mine records out in okay Ohio. so that's a thing <laughs> yeah yeah right and, uh, and I mean I'd, I'd been a fan and of Matt of his playing for a while he you know he, he's toured with Charlie Musselwhite for 15 years mm-hmm. um, and he's also a friend of mine so I, I knew both of them and I'd played with them in different situations. And Matt also sent me the first record, Lonely Soul, before it was out. And I listened to it and was like, oh, this is awesome. So right, right off the bat, I was I was pretty excited to I, – I believed in the project. I liked the music. And they were about to be really busy. So it was kind of the perfect situation, honestly.
0: Yeah, yeah. That is kind of the dream scenario for yeah. most of us is to, um, you know – jump on a moving train like that. Yeah.
1: And another different part about the band, I mean, it's it's two guitarists. We don't have a bass player. It's two guitarists. Oh, that I didn't realize. Yeah. So I think that separates us from other bands also. Um, They both trade off who's playing the, the bass parts live pretty much Right on guitar though.
0: Right. Um, so I, I would
1: imagine there's pedals and effects and all that shit to get you into the bass range on at least some of this stuff. Not really, to be honest with you, it's pretty per- really? just, yeah, the, it, they both play with two amps, like stacked <laughs> on top of each other and they're uh-huh. on at all times. So it's like this wall of sound. Um, wow. and basically like the, the lower amps that they use, uh, kind of, cover the lower frequencies and Mm -hmm. the the top amps are kind of a little dirtier and grittier sounding so so like ga20 the name comes from uh an old amp gibson amplifier 20 that's where the name's from and
0: oh how cool yeah yeah so they're
1: they're uh they're gearheads i mean they they you know they got their tones dialed in so that's that's
0: so interesting. So that, like there's there's no pedals or samples or anything that are sort of artificially producing nope. bass. Nothing. Nothing. It's just the it's just the amp that's that's kind of um uh highlighting the lower frequencies that are
1: already in the guitar. Yeah, pretty much, I'd say. Wow. That being said, I'm not a gu- a guitarist, so I'm sure they would yeah. explain it better than me. <laughs>
0: but, well, yeah. I mean, th- they would explain it way more accurately than either of us. But that doesn't mean that either of us would fucking understand it. Cause yeah, yeah, gu- exactly. You know, guitarist lingo is. Yeah. is I mean, it's, oh, that's all well. I hear
1: all day too. <laughs> <laughs> but now they're, yeah. they're they're both God, great. with like
0: with with no uh, with no bassist in the room to um to I don't know cut cut the fog of the
1: guitarness. <laughs> I would imagine it gets thick in there. Oh yeah, the (laughs) guitar—it's about as thick as you could ever. (laughs) Yeah. So, but it's cool. I mean, like I said, they're both—they're both incredible guitarists in their own right. So I'm lucky to be able to play with two—you know—very talented players. Yeah, yeah. So, So, like,
0: did you did you have to kind of drop everything to join this band? And and if so,
1: like, what what did you drop? um, I was playing with another singer at the time. Um, and I, yeah, I won't, you know, I'll just say that I I wasn't super happy with the situation and yeah, so I'll leave it at that. And I, you know, uh, was excited to, to hop on board. Um, and you know, this, I, I was like 29 at the time. Um. And I just, I played in so many other projects and I lived in Los Angeles for a couple of years and I'd been bouncing around. I moved back to Boston where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, this was exactly what I was looking for. I I, I was ready to drop whatever and, and just focus on one project full time and put all my energy into that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did you live in L.A.? I lived in L.A. 2015 and 2016.
0: Okay, so like I I was there from 2010 until the beginning of 2016. Oh, nice. Um, and not that you know we would have crossed paths because you can live in L.A. for 10 years and still yeah, not yeah, cross yeah. paths with everybody. Yeah. Um, but what like what was your experience there? Why why did you go there, and uh, what did you find?
1: <laughs> totally. I, I moved actually. I'm married, and I moved with uh she was my fiance at the time, but she went to school out there for a couple years. Oh, dig it. So okay. I moved out with her. Um. Which honestly was fantastic because who doesn't, as a musician, who doesn't want to move to Los Angeles, you know? You Um, you think that. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I will say it was a a really good experience for me because I'd only been around New England and I was born here. Mm -hmm. So I knew people, you know, I've always had gigs. I've, you know, but to move somewhere brand new and have to start like fresh, not knowing anybody, it kind of lit a fire under my ass a little bit, you know, like I, I I was forced to go out and meet people and get out of my comfort zone and, you know, and talk to other musicians and audition for gigs. And, you know, so it it was, it was a overall a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I, I tell people is, is
0: crucial in LA is, is just like getting out and, and showing your face and, um, kind of being an extrovert like even even if you're an introvert which i am me too you know, I, yeah. I made i made the mistake of you know th- expecting la to come to me oh no um, right. <laughs> as as an introvert and somebody with like a more than healthy ego yeah you know i just kind of showed up and was like i'm here congratulations yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, no i hear you yeah uh but uh so like did you did you play a lot when you were in LA or was it just kind of
1: doing and seeing and no, I, I, so I was there for two years. I'd say the first six months, you know, I worked like a bunch of odd jobs. I worked at a coffee shop. I worked at Halloween club and then I started teaching uh, drums and piano. Um, And then the first gig I got, honestly, I went to a, a winery with my wife and there was a band playing and I just went up and talked to them and, and then they hired me to play, like a month later and then from that gig the bass player had another band and he hired me and like it just kind of spiraled into like five projects so by the end of the two years i was gigging basically full-time which i was yeah. super grateful for yeah. unfortunately then my wife got into medical school in michigan so we <laughs> so, so i was like oh man i'm you know i'm gigging gigging full-time in la but you know we had to move um but instead of moving to michigan i moved back to boston actually we did long distance for four years because that's when i got the gig that i had before uh ga20 i was started touring with a singer and right now so right so (laughs) you did long distance for four years (laughs) yeah yep 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 that
0: is a long time man yep we did so so my 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 wife and i did long distance for like 10 months, sort of at the beginning of our relationship when she lived in LA and I still lived in Kansas city. Um, and you know, we've been pretty solid up till now and, and we're basically starting to do long distance again because i'm i'm touring a lot who are you touring um, with by the way i'm with i'm with the uh, the national tour of the broadway musical ain't too proud i think i saw that that's awesome man Congrats. yeah I'm, I'm thank you man i'm really yeah. having a great time with it and i just got done with the first leg of it which was five weeks long hell yeah um so now i'm home for a week and, and about to go out for another two and a half months or something so yeah. she and i are like you know, basically long distance. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, we're all right, but (laughs) we're, we're definitely, uh, both aware that we have to be like careful and intentional about staying connected. And totally. Um,
1: did you know that your LA stint was going to be temporary? No, we kind of wanted to stay in LA. Uh, it just didn't end up working out that way. Right. Um, but It's funny how things kind of fall in place because right when we decided, well, right when we basically had to move out of LA, I got a call from that singer in Boston Mm -hmm. um, and they were about to go to Scandinavia for, you know, like a a month long tour. So I was excited to to do that. It kind of ended up working out okay. Yeah. 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 And And over the course of that, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then through that meeting, Matt and Pat and, joining GA20 you know it's it's like like they say everything happens for a reason you know yeah
0: yeah hopefully and and if if not you you create a reason true. <laughs> very true yeah
1: if on, if only in
0: your own head yeah yeah so you join you join this band and is it immediately just like shot out of a cannon touring recording uh honestly pretty
1: much yeah <laughs> within like 1 month into joining the band we recorded the next album uh, which just came out. It's called Crackdown. Cool. Um, so, and that was a cool experience for me because it was the first album that I recorded out that came out on a label, you know, on vinyl and CD, and right. you know, it was it was a lot of fun. So, but it was so, you know, I was only one month into the band, so I was like, oh man, I gotta make sure I'm top notch for this but, right. but it went really well you know? right so you started recording that like in 2018 when you first joined the band yeah pretty much it was and either just 2018 or, or 2019 it just came out now. it was supposed to come out in 2020 but because of covid you know right that we right. kind of put it on this sh- on the back burner until we could tour around the album well i was i was gonna ask why why put it on the back burner, but
0: then, you know, you got to be able to tour on it. Exactly. Um, And my instinct would be, my instinct would be like, everybody's home. Nobody's doing shit. People want to listen to music. Let's get it out there. Yeah. But of course, like if you can't go out in front of people and. Exactly. That way and sell it.
1: Yep. But uh, I mean, in 2020, what ended up happening is we, we recorded another album, which was a tribute to Hound Dog Taylor. Mm. Um, And that came out like a, both through Cola Mine and Alligator Records. Um, And we put that one out. I think, yeah, it came out in 2020 and which was kind of awesome. It worked out because it, you know, it introduced us like a new audience kind of found out about us and and our fan base grew a little bit. So when we did put crackdown out this year, you know, it was, we had a little bit more energy going i guess you know
0: yeah yeah so as as far as touring goes like where are your strong regions and and what kind of rooms are you guys filling
1: up uh well we just came back from from europe we were in switzerland we were in the uk and we did france man killer Uh, yeah and we we do really well in, in Europe, especially since we're a new band. Like we were we were in France, it's the first time we've been there as as a band and we were you know, we sold out some shows like three hundred cap rooms, stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. nothing nothing massive but for our that first. That ain't time, that ain't
0: nothing, man. Like a, yeah. a three hundred seat if, if you sell if you sell out a three hundred seat venue in like that's not in your own backyard. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I don't think people realize the amount of doing, like the amount of legwork and the amount of ditch digging that has to be done to fill a 300 seat room. Yeah. It's a lot. It's And people take pictures of the arena and it's like, it's the dream to play the stadiums and the humongous concert halls. Um, and that's so far down the road. Like there is so much work and time and effort and investment that goes
1: into filling
0: a 300 seat room.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a team of people, you know, that we have who, and, uh, Matt Stubbs, who's you know he's base he's our manager and and leader and he and his uh our tour manager is his girlfriend tracy they they work day in and day out they're you know constantly working their asses off to make Mm -hmm. all of this happen so it's just witnessing it it's like the amount of people don't see that but the amount of work like you said that goes into making something like this work full time is insane (laughs) so indeed
0: Tell me a little bit about Boston, because I've I've interviewed a a couple of people from Boston. Um, uh, The guy that leaps to mind is uh, Mike Levesque. Do you know him?
1: Oh, yeah. I know Mike, yeah. I interviewed him
0: a long time ago like before the pandemic, uh, yeah, and haven't talked to him, but yeah, great dude. Um, so uh, like you're born and raised in the area. Yep. I'm born and raised outside of uh, a Boston, a small town. So cool. Yeah. There's yeah. there's lots of small towns outside of Boston. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. So Norfolk um, mass is where I'm from. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, how did, uh, sort of the personality of that town and, and the music scene shape you as a musician?
1: Uh, that's a good question. So I could go back to kind of how I started. Um, so I started playing drums because my older brother was like a, a punk guitarist and singer, and he was like, when I was in fifth grade, he's like, "You're playing drums in my band," <laughs> you know, like it wasn't <laughs> even great. like a question. He just threw sticks in my hand, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Practice, because you suck." <laughs> 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 so, but it was great because you know I was gigging and recording when I was like eleven. He was taking wow. me out, and we were playing around Boston and uh so i'd say you know boston introduced me to rock and punk early on Mm -hmm. and there's also a lot of fantastic jazz musicians and teachers around there so in high school i started studying with bob galati i don't know if you're familiar with that name i don't think i am he's uh he studied with alan dawson and kind of took that method but then also came up with a lot of his own stuff and he he was the drummer for the the fringe which is like Mm -hmm. a free jazz group in boston so Uh, he, you know, he kicked my ass. He was a fantastic teacher and drummer. And I studied with him all through high school and he got me into jazz also. Cool. So yeah, it was cool. I I think Boston, you know, full spectrum, it introduced me to, like I said, punk rock through jazz. And so it was a good, good, good city to grow up in. And Berkeley's there. I ended up going to Berkeley for a couple of years as well. So, Oh, cool. Cool. How was your experience there? Like, what was that like? Uh, It was good. You know, I actually went to Berkeley after I had graduated from another college. um, And I'm happy I did that because I kind of got all the the partying and stuff out of my system. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So when I was at Berkeley, honestly, I just, I practiced. I didn't even have a social life. I didn't really make a lot of friends or anything. I was just pretty much grinding and practicing and, you know, just playing in different ensembles and yeah. Oh, so it was good. I like the teach like the drum teachers, especially. Dave Dicenzo, Kim Plainfield, Neil Smith, mm-hmm. Gilotti was teaching there at the time. Um, yeah, there were so I had a I had a great experience with the teachers there. Right. For sure. Right. Jackie did Santos. Gr-
0: did you graduate from there or was no. it the, the usual kind of thing where you just got busy and you're like fuck school? I'm Exactly. Out. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah.
1: So yeah, after two years I was kind of gigging and teaching and the is so expensive that I was like, "Yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna, uh, I'm gonna start start making a little money." Yeah. <laughs> so, so I started gigging. Yeah. Um, did you have a sense like, first
0: of all, what was the um, what was the first college you went to? I went to Hamilton College. It's
1: a liberal arts school in New York.
0: Okay. And did and you go there to, for music, or?
1: I actually, I went there not knowing. Well, I knew I loved music, but I wasn't sure if I could make a career out of it, but so I majored in music and I majored in history. Which, oh, cool. Yeah, which you can't really make a career out of history either, but
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean,
1: unless you're just going to be a professor and write books. And- I will say though it uh I mean, I've published 4 books now and I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for for uh studying history there. My writing, it really helped my writing a lot, which sure. is great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But then when I was finishing, you know, last year of Hamilton, all my friends were, or a lot of my friends, you know, were getting hired by these companies or moving to Wall Street or doing all this stuff. And I was just like, I I don't want to do anything like that. I, you know, so I applied to Berkeley and got in and was like, all right, I'm going to try this out. Yeah. Cool. Um, And when you went to Berkeley, like,
0: did you, did you have a sense of, um, what you wanted your career or at least the first chapter of it to look like, or was it more drum centric where you were just like, I'm going to be a drum monk and just practice all the fucking time. And then take like, were were you kind of myopically focused on the drums or taking more of a 30,000 view of your career after school?
1: Um, I will say, no, I was mostly just focused on drums. I was pretty obsessed. <laughs> I kind of like, yeah, I, it was, it was a good period for me because you know I, I used to have those teachers who were like every fantastic player goes through like a period of 3 years or whatever where all they were did was practice and that was kind of my my time like at the <laughs> I remember at the beginning of every year like January 1st I would make a binder like a practice binder and I'd fill for the entire year, I'd fill out how many hours a week I practice and what I was working on, and like journaled, and I was a super nerd about it. But yeah, which is kind of funny to look back on. But it really it you know it helped me out a lot. Yeah, I
0: mean it's a it's a it's a critical um, time and a sort of pr- critical process to go through. Yeah, um, I I feel like I like I I went through that time and I went through that process unfortunately most of it was plowed into marimba
1: (laughs) oh wow that's that's fantastic though i I can't play marimba so (laughs) well
0: and you know i i could i could play the shit out of it when i was a 24 year old grad student uh and it it wasn't until you know a little bit later that i realized like i i don't think i can play marimba for a living and furthermore i don't want to i just want to play i want to play drums so like i circled back to the drums and kind of
1: started the process from there (laughs) I hear you. It's funny though, because I look, I look back at the stuff that I practiced and I'll be honest with you. I don't use most of it. You know what I mean? Right. And I,
0: that's a great point. I would imagine that a lot of the stuff that you just spent so much time shedding on drum set is, is not much more related to what you do now than all of the shit I was shedding on. Totally. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I remember I, I, uh, there was something when I, when I studied with Gary Chafee, he told me that I thought was really eye opening. He said like, never be afraid of like wasting time practicing or like trying things while practicing. Mm. Like don't be, you know, I forget exactly how he said it, but it like, don't be afraid to experiment. Cause I think nowadays there's, there's so much stuff you can practice and it's really easy to get like anxious. Oh, I shouldn't be working on this or I should be working on that. Or, you know what I mean? And he basically was like, just open the door and he's like, just, just work on whatever you want to do and don't, don't overthink it. You know what I mean? And I think that was kind of a, that being said, obviously there are incorrect ways to practice if you're tech technique wise, like hurting yourself or whatever, but he more was in a, you know, opening the door to just experimenting and, 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 trying different things, which was cool. So,
0: yeah. And that's, that's a great point because I, I think, um, a lot of musicians especially young musicians kind of get wrapped around the axle of like what should i be working on totally yeah um and there's a lot of paralysis through analysis and especially like a
1: you... good, uh, good way to put it yeah. yeah 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 i mean
0: if like you want you want to get good gas mileage right like if yeah. i'm going to spend an hour practicing i want it to fucking matter do totally. i want to see results at the end yeah um <laughs> But yeah, that advice to just sort of like be open and experiment and yeah. see what comes out and see what paths you get led down by your hands and your brain totally is is great. And I would add to it like, don't be afraid to. I, I think that the the other side of that coin is is people um, are. Um, hesitant to go too far down one path. Like if mm. they're really into something, yep. they'll they'll go deep on it and then start second guessing themselves about, mm. oh well, maybe I should be studying this too and learning mm. that also and blah blah blah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think um, uh, just like following what you're really fucking into. Totally,
1: I can't. Down I don't a deep yeah. hole. You know, I can't agree more with that. Like I feel like if you if there's one style that you're obsessed with like do it you know go yeah. into it you know obviously yeah. you want to be well-rounded too but you know if that's what you're listening to like that's what you like go yeah. for it I, because I, yeah. there's so many you know so many drummers out there, and if you can really find what what you do best and and do it, then that's going to help you out a lot. So, yep it's a, it's a recurring
0: theme on the podcast, and and I'm reminded of uh, my co-host Matt Krauss um, tells this story a lot, and I really like it. He was watching Kenny Aronoff do a clinic, and it was mm-hmm. kind of Q and A time, and um, and I don't remember exactly what question Matt asked him, but it was it was this was years ago when Matt was like 25 or something, yeah. Um, but uh, he asked him like you know, what is it, is it important to be versatile? Like how is, how important is it to learn all these different stuff? It was something along those lines. And and Kenny Aronoff said it's better to have three a plus grooves than Mm 10 B minus grooves. Yeah. Like I agree. Yeah. Like make that list of things short and make them all just fucking kick ass. (laughs) Totally.
1: And I think the way like life unfolds, you kind of figure out what those things are going to be for you. Like yeah. for some reason, I kept getting blues gigs mm-hmm. and GA 20, you know, I play a ton of shuffles and that has become like, that's my A plus groove. Like people were like, how do you play shuffles so well? I'm like, well, I literally do it every night now. Right. Constantly. Like that is, you know, <laughs> that's like my bread and butter. And I love, I fucking love playing a shuffle. Like I, yeah. you know, I know some drummers who are like, "Oh, it's just a shuffle," but to me, there's like nothing more satisfying than just laying into a shuffle that just feels fantastic. So yeah,
0: yeah, I I, I totally resonate with that, and and I've I've played a fuckload of shuffles in mm-hmm. my day as well. Yeah. Um, but I view it as that. I always make food analogies because I'm super mm. into cooking. But like the the shuffle is like it's one of those classic recipes that yep. just does not need to be improved on. No. It doesn't need to be deconstructed yep. or reinvented. Or it's just like you don't fuck with this classic recipe.
1: Exactly. It's, when it's done well, it's just so good. <laughs> I also feel like there's there's a lot of little nuances to different shuffles that I think people kind of ignore. And it's, well, I and, was
0: going to ask you like you're, you're, so you're coming at this from your, your new England, uh, Boston, uh, background, mm-hmm. um, in my mind, not really known as a blues or shuffle Haven.
1: No, I, I'd um, say, I, I think Rhode Island actually has a lot of, uh, blues musicians, surprisingly enough, huh. <laughs> but, but no, it overall, yeah. New England is not, not known for that. You know, it's, it's, Yeah. So, so in your uh, in your practice
0: and application of of the shuffle, like have you um, have you gone down uh, different rabbit holes of the Texas versus the Chicago versus the this versus the that?
1: Yeah, totally. I'd say mostly Chicago shuffles are what I'm working on. Um, And again, Matt Stubbs. You know he's been playing with Charlie Musselwhite, who's a Chicago blues harmonica player for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So when I joined GA20, he like gave me a, a like a playlist of of stuff to check out and of you know of shuffles to emulate and you know Fred Below. He's one of my favorites. Um, I, I mean, there's 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 a bunch of a bunch of blues. I mean Ted uh, Ted Harvey of uh, Hound Dog Taylor. He, you know, we did that tribute album. So I spent, you know, a long time listening to the Hound Dog recordings and kind of studying what Ted Harvey was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, most people don't really even know who Ted Harvey is, but he does these things during shuffles that I've, to this day, I've never heard anyone else do. Like he does these little cymbal flutters. He does, he, it's just like a really unique, like kind of loose style of playing a shuffle, but it's super cool. Mm-hmm. So,
0: And this is another thing, uh, this is another thing about, you know, the shuffle in general. It's like, it's, it's hard to tell where, um, you know, a, a regionality or, um, sort of the brand of say the Chicago shuffle Mm -hmm. ends and a particular drummer's personal style or idiosyncrasies begin. Totally. Yeah. So like are there any generalities you can make about a Chicago shuffle that like you know if if the if the average drummer is on a gig and the guitarist turns around and says this is a Chicago shuffle
1: like what are some 101 best practices <laughs> It's funny you say that cuz I've heard I've heard different theories on this and I've heard drummers who I look up to say at the end of the day, there's really not much of a difference between a Chicago and a Texas shuffle. Mm -hmm. It's who you talk to, I guess, you know, like Texas shuffles. I think of like Freddie King. I think of more of, it's like a very driving hi hat, open sloshy kind of shuffle. Yeah. Whereas a Chicago shuffle, You know, I think of—I guess more on the ride symbol. um, Sometimes a little bit tighter. A lot of times, you know, you think of Howl and Wolf or whatever. Too, you have Mm -hmm. more of a. There's more space, I guess. Would you say that the a Chicago shuffle is like a little bit more jazz influenced than a Texas shuffle? I I could see that. Yes. Yeah, and and honestly, that's the approach I like to take to playing blues in general, Mm -hmm. um, because my favorite blues drummers, you know, from the sixties, like Fred below, those guys were jazz players who were playing blues. Right. And I think a lot of the blues that's happening today is coming too much from like the rock standpoint. Yeah. You know, it's, it's people who are rock drummers who are kind of swinging and playing some blues, but
0: right. It's rock
1: I, on a swing grid. Exactly. Which but is but all me, well and
0: good, but like,
1: <laughs> totally to me, the best, the best shit is the early blues that has like a jazz approach to it. You know, it's light. It's, you know, it's, you're playing a swing groove, you know what I mean? Right. Like you're like, you're a big band drummer or something. Right. Um, I I
0: know exactly what you mean. It feels
1: like just sort of a variation or an offshoot of like jazz ride time. mm -hmm. Even the, even the tuning of the drums back then too. It's like you're tuning the kit. Like it's a jazz kit. Like when mm -hmm. I play with GA 20, we don't have a bass player. So I have a 24 inch kick (sighs) that's, but it's wide open. You know what I mean? Like I try to keep that wide open and I, I tune my toms up a little bit more so like a jazz thing. Um, and yeah, I, I try not to approach it from like a rock drumming standpoint, but more f- as like a jazz drummer playing playing Chicago blues or early rock and roll.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. like
1: Earl Palmer, obviously one of my favorite drummers of all time, and he's a, he was a jazz guy who was playing early rock and roll. You know, so
0: yeah, I mean, so so many of the blueprints um, for a you know a given style of drumming or a given style of music, like the you know the early examples on which everything after it was based mm-hmm. was done by a jazz guy. Totally. Like, they were all jazz guys that sort of adapted into playing funk or blues or rock or singer-songwriter stuff. Like, Hal Blaine and Shelly Mann mm-hmm. were jazz guys. The Funk Brothers, like, all this shit I'm playing right now and ain't too proud. Like, yep. they were jazz guys that put, got put into the Motown
1: studio and is like, play backbeat. <laughs> yeah, which, which is, I think, the thing that is missing today is i I think it's cool to approach these things as like a from a jazz drummer's mindset Mm -hmm. you know like i said a lot of people i think think of it as rock or you know they they play super heavy and you know like in the studio these drummers were playing really light yeah and getting big sounds
0: Sort of the jazz influence, I want to ask you about this book, Haynesism. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, like, Roy Haynes is um, not one of the guys that I've ever gone deep on. Yeah. But every time I hear him play, I'm like, I I probably should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really should. Um, So sort of um talk about the the concept of this book how it's kind of based around one thing mm-hmm. um but also I'm curious like was was Haynes always one of your guys or He was or?
1: yeah he he totally was honestly he was like the first jazz drummer that I fell in love with um you know like like a lot of young drummers I think jazz for me was was a you know initially a difficult thing to grasp. Like I, I was playing punk. I was, you know, but my teacher Bob Galati at the time gave me this album, Cracklin. It's Booker Irvin and Roy Haynes. And like the first notes of the first track, I was just like, oh my God, like who is this guy on drums? So <laughs> who is who is Booker Irvin? I'm not hip to he's that. He's a name. saxophonist. Okay. Yeah. It's a great album, Cracklin'. Uh the first track is Scoochie, which is I actually my trio covered that on the on the record that i just put out oh cool Um, okay yeah but but roy haynes he just like there's an explosiveness to his playing that i was immediately drawn to as a teenager Mm -hmm. um so ever since then he's kind of been i'd say my favorite second favorite jazz drummer um and then the concept for the book isms um basically i put out a book called groove systems a little bit ago and that had when I stepped back and I kind of looked at that book, I was like, oh, my God, like there's so much information in this. There's so many different styles, There's which is great. It's, you know, it's a good practice method. But with isms, I was like, I need to boil down my, my books to, you know, really milk like one idea. And that's what the whole concept is. It's like that famous Bruce Lee quote, I fear not the man who practice. 10,000 kicks once, but the man who practiced one kick 10,000 times. Right. That's yeah, the yeah. whole basis for the book. Um, and it's actually a series now. It's I, I'm working on a couple others within cool. that, but essentially, you know, I studied and transcribed a lot of Roy Haynes solos and figured out that he had, you know, one or two things that he loved to do when he would As Most drummers do. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, and it's, you don't need to know a million things. If you have one thing you're very good at, or one like one signature idea that you can manipulate and mold into different situations, and that's you know, a fantastic thing. So yeah. I mean he would he would play this lick in different subdivisions, in different time signatures. He would permutate it, you know, he'd orchestrate it differently around the kit. So that's what the book is. It's taking this one idea and just milking it for all it's worth, pretty much. Is it is it possible to describe this lick,
0: or do you just need to hear it? Or oh read no, no, totally.
1: Uh, some people refer to it as "did it and did it and did it and did it." It's like this triplet thing that he would do. <laughs> okay. A lot of times he'd do it like hitting the stick on the snare. Did it and did it and did it and did it. Right. Uh-huh. And he would move that around the drums. Uh, he'd also would play it like in a sixteenth note subdivision or an eighth note, like a straight eight feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's super cool. So this this is like a double stroke plus a left hand or plus a kick or oh, that's a good question. So it's I would say it's like two rights and then a kick. Bop Got bop it. Boom, bop, bop boom bop ba boom bop boom, and yeah. he would move that around. Bop bop. Yeah. And then he'd go to the floor tom. He'd go to the rack tom with it. He'd you know. Yep. So and sometimes he would substitute the kick for a hi hat. He did that a lot too. So yeah, yeah. It was it was a cool cool lick.
0: Yeah, just like a, a three note sequence. You can exactly a whole universe (laughs) it really is yeah there's all exactly there's a lot you can do with that so so like what um did you have a clear idea of of sort of how you wanted to illustrate this throughout the book when you started or was it a process of
1: discovery like it was a process yeah definitely it was like a research project thing almost you know it was it kind of the more i listened and the more i transcribed and the more i was like oh my god like that's the lick he's just doing it in this way now you know it's it's kind of amazing to to hear somebody of that caliber take an idea and like disguise it almost in a different way yeah you know so as as i listened more and transcribed more you know the concept for the book kind of fell into place a little bit so yeah yeah that it's
0: it's I like what you said about disguising it because I'm thinking of other drummers who have sort of like a signature lick, yeah. Um, and you know everybody does to some extent, but the ones that leap to mind are Steve Gad and mm-hmm. for me, like Keith Carlock is one of my guys. Oh, and I, he
1: I, he's one of my all-time favorites, man. He's yeah, incredible. yeah. So he has that like I stole like, that. I use that all the time. Or just, obviously not as well as he does, but I right. But I I, I
0: stole that. the shit out of it too, and yeah. I,
1: I use it a lot.
0: And and most of the time I regret trying it because I just cannot do it like he does i can i can do it a certain kind of way and and it it comes off sometimes but um half you know some of the time i use it i'm like yeah it doesn't belong
1: there he uh, um, <laughs> he does the two kicks into that thing right it's usually two bass drum notes so yeah. i simplified it to just one bass drum note and that's that's how i do it when i do it and
0: but. yes that that makes things a little easier, easier. yeah the,
1: the the
0: thing that i just cannot get over the hump over like and i need to i need to shed it more if i really want to make it happen but like All of the left foot hi-hat activity he does while doing that lick, (laughs) like, that's what makes it pop,
1: man. Yeah, it's it's insane. uh, Yeah, Yeah, his left foot in general, I'm always just blown away by. I mean, he just does these, like, polyrhythms with his left foot while he's just grooving. I'm just like, what is... How did he? You know, it's just, it's yeah. crazy. He's just—he's a freak.
0: He's an absolute freak. Yeah. He but is. so, like, you know, when when Gad does his lick or when Carlock does his lick, you know, it's it's not usually sneaky, you know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, like, yep, there it is. But this idea that that Haynes just sort of like disguised it in all these different yeah, ways. Yeah. Like
1: and, he, he he does this stuff a lot when he solos, where he'd like play the ride and choke it with his with his left hand, uh-huh. but the the pattern would be like the exact same thing. He's just right. choking it and, you know, but it's at the end of the day, it's the same idea, you know? Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So like, do you find yourself doing this all the time now? Like,
1: are you? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Well, that's the cool part about this too, is like the end goal with a book like this, you know, obviously this is stuff that I'm practicing is you you don't want to think about it when you're playing, like in a in a situation, it's you want it just to happen naturally. And I feel like I've kind of, come up with my own little variations on it that I just naturally do now. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a a cool process for sure.
0: Nice. Um, You have a couple of projects that are sort of like on your own under Mm -hmm. your name. And, and I really want to ask you about the organ trio because I love, the b3 organ i love playing in an organ trio um one of my my best friends is a a phenomenal uh b3 player ty bailey lives in nashville cool um and it was it was through playing with him through meeting and and playing with him that i just sort of discovered that like holy shit the b3 is one of my favorite things ever totally Um, yeah so what's been your experience like First of all, what kind of a trio is that? Are you doing straight ahead jazz or more yep. kind of f- funky soul jazz?
1: Like um, it's kind of both, but the initial concept was de- I wanted you know it to be more straight ahead, mm-hmm. like sixties, you know, Jimmy Smith, Big John yeah. Patton, Brother Jack McDuff, like that type of stuff. Right. Yeah. So I
0: like I it is it is straight ahead swing, but it's not the same as
1: bebop. I would call it soul jazz, even though yeah. it's straight ahead. I would call it soul jazz. Yeah. Right. We're splitting um, hairs a little bit, but you know, it's <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, you're right. It's you know um,
0: So what like uh are you are you writing original songs for this or are you just exploring the uh
1: the classic catalog? What's the A little bit of both. Um and this project kind of started during COVID. It was kind of like oh, my cool. COVID uh project that I just started because I've been playing so much with G A twenty, I don't get to play jazz much. Um, so that year I really just started listening to a lot of organ trio records. And I was like, man, like I want to do this. So I just figured out a way to make it happen. Uh, there's this organ player, Ken Clark in Boston, who's a monster. And then this guy, Steve fell, he plays guitar. So I just, I hired them and I booked a date at a recording studio, like six months from when, you know, when I decided Mm -hmm. to do, and I just picked the standards I wanted to do, came up with some song ideas, and we just showed up. And I never actually played with the organ player before, but I knew he was incredible. So we didn't rehearse or anything. We just cut a record that day. Wow. Yeah, yeah. How cool. It was awesome. It was really... And so,
0: like, is that, uh, like, beyond that, does does that trio play a lot when you're home or was it just kind of that recording project
1: that you know we we play a little bit we I unfortunately don't get to do a lot of my own gigs just because ga20 is so busy but we've done a handful of gigs and we actually recorded another album that's coming out next year too so nice which is more originals um, than the first one so yeah so we we keep busy you know those other guys too are playing in all sorts of different projects and and busy themselves but you know when we have a chance like right now, I'm actually trying to figure out when we're going to do our next gig. I'm, I'm working on booking that now. So <laughs> cool, cool.
0: So yeah. like, when you
1: um,
0: when you started playing with a, a B three, mm-hmm. did you notice? Um, like, did it make you play different? Does playing with a B three
1: just make you play drums differently? Um, I didn't really feel that way, to be honest with you. I don't know why, but I I think Ken and I. For some reason, like just right off the bat, had like a chemistry. Mm-hmm. We just lock in. Like my ride cymbal and his bass playing just mesh so well. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we both realized that with literally within the first take of the first song, we're like, oh shit, this is this is gonna be good. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, so well, I never, I never felt like I had to play differently with the B three.
0: Well, I guess where I was going with that was. Um, and and your your answer sort of alluded to it. Um, when I started playing with B three and with Ty specifically, my playing just simplified on mm. its own. Yep. Like I, as a jazz player, I felt like um, it was sort of my role and my job to to do a lot of instigating, to do yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. participation and interaction, and and uh, you know sort of be the catalyst for whatever fucking excitement is going to happen totally and i started playing with ty and it was like oh i I don't really have to do anything yeah (laughs) Yeah. like i just have to
1: let it be yeah swing time like just let that be itself and totally well you bring um, up something that i've been thinking about a lot uh and one of the things that i love about playing blues and playing in ga20 is it really has changed the way i play jazz because when you play that stuff, everything has to swing. And -hmm. that's the main thing. Everything, Mm -hmm. you know, the feel, that's everything. And I think when I used to play jazz, I viewed it more of like, oh, I wanna do the Elvin breaking up the triplets and I wanna try all this Tony Williams shit. And it's easy to forget that like, you have to make sure the thing fucking swings, right? You got to swing your ass up. So when I approach the organ trio, and even when I, whenever I play jazz now, I'm thinking of it more of like a, a Jimmy Cobb. Like this yeah. needs to feel incredible, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I, don't I interviewed uh, uh, George Slupik a while back, um, and he hit me to this uh, Don uh, Lou Donaldson record called Alligator Boogaloo. Oh hell yeah! He was yeah. talking about Idris Muhammad. And oh, I he was love like, Idris. He was like, I listened to that record over and over and over and just absorbed Idris. Um, and I listened to it and I was like, man, Idris doesn't do shit. Mm. He just-
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it just feels incredible.
0: It just feels so good. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, um, and it, it also reminds me. Of, the the musical director on um ain't too proud was recently talking about like trusting the simplicity Mm -hmm. yeah and he was talking but we were having a conversation about the the actors and the singers on the show and um how sometimes they'll feel the need to like spice up a melody and do more of a melisma do more of a modern r&b interpretation of something and And he was like, I, you know, these singers, they just need to trust the simplicity of these melodies, totally, which is so hard to do. But it's super hard to do. And uh, like he said that, and I was like, that's good advice for me too. Like I, because I felt the need to sort of
1: like do some extra in some spots in this show. Yeah. Um. I think that's the thing with. It's so easy as a drummer to feel like you have to be, doing more. Yeah. Um, I think like just through the process of recording myself a lot and listening back, usually the thing that I, the conclusion I come to when listening is I don't need to be doing that much. Like yep. I should be doing less, <laughs> yeah. you know, like just make like back to swinging, like just play a quarter note. If you can make like a quarter note on the ride, yep. you just feel incredible. It's yep. Yeah. There's nothing better than that. If,
0: if you have that, you don't need much else. Exactly. And if you don't have that, nothing
1: else matters. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have that, you shouldn't be working on, all of the Tony and Elvin stuff. And, you right. Know, it's- you shouldn't be working on anything else if yes. you do have that. Yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah. Man. Well, hey, man. It was a really great talking to you. Great meeting you. You Me um, too. And uh, uh, best of luck. with. Wh- when are you going out with the band again? You're home uh, right go- now,
1: right? Yeah. We're home for December, and then we go back out in January um, for six weeks we're going out. So Cool. Yeah. D- domestic or international? Uh, domestic. We're going down south um yeah just playing a bunch of shows down south pretty much
0: nice starting in yeah. january yes yeah cool well man best of luck with it uh best of luck with these books i look forward to the next uh iteration of the isms thank you man <laughs> thank you good luck with your your tours as well and everything yeah thanks a lot man great talking with you you too thank you there you go solid dude right thanks to tim Carmen for joining us i really dug that talk Check out GA20 wherever you get music. Check out Tim's books and all kinds of other stuff at TimCarmanDrums.com and be on the lookout for him on tour. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Jerry Gaskell, longtime drummer for the band King's X. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.